This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. All right, my friends, what's up? Brent here from Learn Jazz Standards. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm here answering your jazz and music questions five days out of the week to help you have more fun playing jazz, shorten the learning curve, and feel more confident improvising. So thanks so much for being here. And today we have a really great question from Tim Sly. Let's give it a listen. Brent, back in the late 1970s, I spoke to Teddy Wilson. And I get to think that if you go back to the roots of jazz, back to the guitar and the trumpet player and the piano players and the brothels and the bars and hotels and clubs, the folks playing blues and ragtime, those individuals are probably unlikely to have spent years learning musical theory and probably had not studied structures of chords and keys and seventh, ninths, and thirteenths, etc., but rather just had an excellent ear, knew the melodies, and were able to weave harmonious melodies uh, in their head as they listen as they listen to those tunes already in their head. And a process of trial and error produced what was mostly successful improvisation. Perhaps they didn't even really read music. What do you think about that? Tim, thanks for the great comment and question did the jazz greats and jazz musicians at the beginning and from this time period and onward did they really think about music theory uh the answer to that is not as much as we would like to think and to tim's point at the beginning right jazz and improvisation and the blues and all the stuff that he mentioned, this is music that wasn't necessarily written down, right? It was music that was created spontaneously, um, that came about through call and response, that really thrived off of other musicians just getting together, figuring out what each other were playing and feeding off of that, right? Even when we get a little bit later on, like into... The Charlie Parker days, like 1940s, like guys are, are going in to clubs and listening to Charlie Parker, you know, young saxophone players like Jackie McLean, and they're listening to Charlie Parker going like, wow, what is this guy doing? And guess what? There's no music theory book about Charlie Parker and how he's playing bebop. There's no transcription books of Charlie Parker. If anything, there's these records, right? 
And so they're literally listening to records and wearing them out by moving the needle back and forth, trying to figure out what Charlie Parker is playing. I mean, this is just one example, right, in in time. Charlie Parker being, of course, a very inspirational, um, transformational figure in jazz and, and, you know, influential. A lot of people wanted to learn how he, how he played. That's why you hear so many players after him, like Sonny Stitt and so on and so forth, really mimicking and creating their own version of what Charlie Parker had innovated, right? And it didn't come from, oh, okay, he's playing enclosure patterns or bebop scales, right? We talked about bebop scales a couple episodes ago and, you know, how it is just a way to theorize and understand an element of bebop. It's not really what Charlie Parker was doing. Charlie Parker wasn't playing bebop scales. You know, music and jazz and improvisation, it evolves, right? Again, like Tim was talking about so eloquently, it starts out, you know, playing in clubs and playing, you know, in people's homes and apartments and expanding out and people are feeding off of each other and going to after hours cutting sessions back in the swing era, right? The big bands would be out playing and then all of a sudden afterwards they go and they play at a cutting session, jam session, and and try to one-up each other musically. And so they were all influencing each other and, and that's kind of how it comes about is this call and response, this learning by ear, trial and error. That is the spirit of jazz. And that's why I can't state enough the importance of still learning jazz that way, right? And it's not to say that learning jazz with music theory is detrimental or useless. In fact, quite the contrary. You know, the idea of jazz theory, for example, really comes out more when jazz becomes institutionalized, where it's starting to be taught in high schools, in colleges. And that's where music theory and jazz start coming together. And the fact that that has happened is a great thing. I mean, it opens up the doors to all kinds of new innovations in jazz, understanding of harmony, understanding what's actually going on here or theories about what's actually going on here. Some people's brains think more analytically like this, right? So theory is a great thing. You had musicians like John Coltrane who definitely were checking out theory, definitely knew that stuff. On the other hand, you have musicians like Stan Getz who, you know, it, it has been said, and it is my understanding did not know much music theory. I believe I've heard that he didn't really even read music, though I'm, I'm not entirely sure that is true or not. So this is someone who, of course, the ear and the language of jazz is second nature, right? And that's that's honestly what we want to really strive for. And that's why, including myself, many jazz teachers will talk about how to do that. You know, the same as what they were doing, rearing out records. Now it's a little bit easier for us. We can get on to Spotify or just get an MP3 up and, you know, loop sections over and over again. We can even get out slow downers and slow down the track so we can more easily pick apart the notes and figure them out on our instrument, right? Downloading the musical language, strengthening our ears, strengthening our reaction times, right? That's the best assets we have with improvisation, Really, the secret to jazz improvisation, if I were to name a secret, is getting your ear and your instrument to align where what you're hearing in your head and your muscle memory on your instrument meet. And of course, there are so many different ways and strategies to get that going, to get those two working together, which we're not going to talk about 
on this episode because we could go on for literally days talking about this. And that's why we're going to keep coming out with episodes where we do talk about this stuff. But absolutely, jazz is not a music theory kind of music. Um, It is a music that can be extracted great depths of musical knowledge and music theory. That's why it's taught in colleges and schools. There is so much harmonic information in jazz and jazz standards to be understood that you can grab so much out of it and learn so much about music and how it works from jazz from a theoretical perspective. But as far as improvising, as far as historically how it evolved, it's definitely an ear music. It's definitely a trial and error music. It's definitely a go out and listen to other musicians and listen to records and play along with records and transcribe solos, not necessarily writing them down, but you know, learning them by ear as you go. That's the spirit of the music. And so whether you're a, a person that relates a lot to theory or a person that doesn't, I definitely recommend keeping that in your practice, this learning by ear. Even if you're not good at it at first, it only gets easier as you go along. I, trust me, we have members of our inner circle where that's the first thing that we do when you become a member. We help you learn a jazz standard and at least the melody by ear. And we have lots of folks that come in and at, they don't know how to do that at first. And, and it, it does go a little bit slow, but then after they've done it, after they get past you know a month of this, they're like, wow, it's so much easier than I thought now, right? And that's how it works with jazz. So keep that in there. But also don't ignore the, the theory because there's so much that music theory can teach us about music and about jazz and open our minds to help us understand better how the music works. And sometimes a, a music theory concept could be a, a light bulb moment for someone. So keep both of them in there. Don't throw one away for the other. A good balance to me is a good approach to learning music and always finding the amount of each that works best for you. All right, so that's all for today's episode. Remember that knowledge without action isn't knowledge at all. Remember that a lot of practice time is not near as good as a little bit of really good practice. So make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're gonna come out with our Fast Track Friday episode tomorrow. Looking forward to that one. So until then, happy practicing and cheers. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.